Hello, this is Beth Maples Bay, and this is Lesbian Echoes, a podcast about lesbians in Appalachia and beyond. Let's listen to the stories of lesbians over 70 and all the rich experiences they have to share. I can't wait to hear their stories. Can you? Hello, this is Beth. I'm going to be reading Carolyn Gage's story. I'm honored to do this, and um, we'll do this in just a second. Carolyn Gage, interviewed by Beth Maples Bays for her podcast, Lesbian Echoes. I speak in Carolyn's voice. I am 69 now. I came out at 33 in 1985. I didn't come out until I was 33 because I was unaware of who I was. I had three identities that were disallowed. I was a lesbian, I was an incest survivor, and I was an artist. Actually, I had a fourth one that I didn't understand till until I was in my 60s. I was also autistic, which is a part, big part of my difficulties in understanding those first three identities. Those first three decades were mostly focused on surviving. As many autistic women are, I was very good at masking what I was feeling and wanting. I think when girls do that early enough, they end up masking from themselves. What broke it all down for me? Well, many folks with childhood trauma do what I did. We spend our young adulthood surviving, and we do this using the tools we have at hand the tools of a young child. We mask, we people please, we hide. And also, we are so-called high achievers. I was good at making grades in school. But of course, there are many more important areas of living at which I was not doing so well. Anyway, this survival thing works for a while with folks who have complex PTSD which is the kind of post-traumatic syndrome that results from growing up in abusive environments. It works until it doesn't. And that point usually arrives when the survivor is in her late 20s or early 30s. She has proven she can survive, and the spirit gets restless for authenticity. For me, this process began with a whistleblower lawsuit. I filed against a state university where I was in a doctoral program. I was exposing a credit scandal. Because my perpetrator had been an attorney and a judge, this lawsuit was triggering a lot of deep emotional memory of terror. But make no mistake, whistleblowing against a large corporation is terrifying anyway. I saw myself taking a stand, drawing that line in the sand, 
education and theater were both sacred to me. And to see faculty taking advantage of students was unacceptable to me. Anyway, this lawsuit was the beginning of the end of the masking. I began to recover my memories. And with that, I began to re really recognize my need to be with women, to come out as lesbian. And both of these recovered identities were tied to a third one, my vocation in theater. Suddenly, I knew my own story, and now I knew the story that I wanted and needed to tell. It was a female story. It was a lesbian story. It was a survivor story. And it would be a story that would do all the things that my own story had not. It would be about alliances, about authentic voice, about courage, about naming the agents of our abuse. So that was the year that everything changed. It was fierce and terrifying, like walking through fire. And when it was over, nearly everything was gone. My marriage was gone, my church was gone, my entire birth family extended and immediate was gone. My dream of a doctorate was gone. My future in mainstream theater was gone. And sadly, my health was also gone. I was stricken with chronic fatigue syndrome, or ME slash CFS. I was severely disabled for 11 years and impaired for the rest of my life. This disease limited my ability to function in the world and accelerated my commitment to playwriting. In the area of my mind, I was able-bodied, nimble, bold, adventurous. I had lost this in the outside world because of my disability. So I wrote, and I'm still writing, but writing is my activism. I toured in the work because that was how I was supporting myself. But really, I'm a playwright. That's my activism. The greatest challenge has been the fact that lesbians historically have not owned or run our own theaters. When I came out, there were about six lesbian theaters in the U.S. There were hundreds of LGBT theaters, and nearly all of them were run by gay men. Feminism was perceived as divisive, and narratives by survivors of male sexual violence were seen as aggressively divisive. I wrote a manual called Take Stage! How to Direct and Produce a Lesbian Play. It was my hope that all these lesbian entrepreneurs who were starting to host festivals and concerts would want to do theater. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Our cruises, festivals, bookstores, drum circles, potlucks, and so on continued to proliferate, but lesbian theater never did. I also wrote two volumes of scenes and monologues for lesbian actors because most of the work that women were doing was written by male playwrights. This was tough on all women, but especially lesbians. I was desperately trying to make it accessible to build lesbian theater. I've had a rich and challenging career in theater, and it has been my great privilege to have known and even be friends with women who have been pioneers and pathbreakers in the second wave. I'm especially grateful that I was able to attend the Michigan Women's Music Festival for 14 years. 
It enabled me to see myself and to be seen, fully seen, in ways that I have not been anywhere else. I continue to write, and the pandemic has actually been an opportunity to hear a number of my plays read on Zoom. Today, I live on an island in Maine, a dream come true for me, and I am grateful for every day to be surrounded by so much natural beauty. The second wave writers of the 1960s, 1970s, and early 1980s were and still are huge influences over my thinking and my life. Andrea Dworkin was very, very important to me, and when she endorsed my first anthologies of play, I was over the moon. Julia Penelope and her writings on language and separatism were also huge. Audre Lorde, Christos, Anita Cornwell. I was living in Portland, Oregon when I came out, and there was a women's bookstore with a huge lending library. I think I must have read everything in it, playing catch up for coming out so late. I am autistic, and I never bonded with my family of birth because they could not relate to my special interests theater, or my feminism. I moved away at 18, halfway across the country, and I would only go home every three or four years for a day or so. We rarely talked on the phone. When I retrieved my memories of abuse at 33, estrangement felt like the final brick in a wall that we had all been building for decades. I never replaced my family of birth with a real family. I did, however, find family in Al-Anon, 28 years and counting, and in my historical lesbian ancestors, especially activists and artists. I loved the festival culture. It was heaven for an autistic introvert. I could belong and be among my sister lesbians without feeling drained or overstimulated. I worked as a wait as waitstaff for restaurants, sold stereo equipment in a student neighborhood, worked in a dive bar in Boulder where junkies would shoot up in the basement bathroom. I sold fabric for a year at JCPenney's and I worked as a janitor and building manager for a student rooming house in a university town. I was an apprentice carpenter. I held various sales clerk positions. I volunteered in a methadone clinic and in various special ed and head start programs. I taught theater classes in various community and university settings, and I had a year-long guest leadership at Bates College. I worked at the Multoma Country Library in Portland, Oregon for several years in tech services. Around 1988, I took a writer's residency in Ashland, Oregon, where I found a theater company, founded a theater company. From that time on, I never worked another day job, with the exception of the year at Bates. I toured extensively, lecturing, performing, and offering workshops, and I wrote and self-published over 100 of my own titles, maintaining a catalog of work in a variety of formats. I wrote grants for a Somalian immigrant community in Maine for seven years. Today, I continue to write, but I no longer tour. As I said, I am autistic, and the one through line of checkered life has been my love of theater. It began when I was very young, and I was given a genie doll. 
I built a collection of 50 dolls, and I would create elaborate and melodramatic plays to enact with them. I could do this easily, for six hours at a stretch. Later, this special interest morphed into two degrees in theater, a brief attempt at acting directing career, and then finally, by 1984, settling into playwriting. I live on an island in Maine where I have not found a community of lesbians. On the mainland, there is a women's singing group with whom I have cordial relations, but it's a long way to drive. My lesbian community is largely online and also in history. I have very intense relationships with the lesbian historical subjects of my work. Because of my intense interest, identity, and activism with survivors of sexual abuse, I have been very uncomfortable with any cultures that embrace pornography and prostitution. And this has been a formidable barrier between me and young liberal feminists, as well as queer culture. I am always out everywhere, but that doesn't really qualify me for membership in LGBTQ communities. I'm extremely interested in women's rights organizations and issues, and especially where they touch on sexual violence. I hope you enjoyed this segment of Lesbian Echo. Be sure to check in with us next time as we bring the stories of lesbians' lives to you. Thank you.